Hi, I'm Harriet Levins, one of the pastors here at Life Church, and we're so glad that you're tuning in with us this morning. Hey, I'm Pastor Tim Blevins. Thank you so much for being with us. We're so honored you came to be at Online Church today. If you want to know more about who we are and what we do at Life Church, just visit us at lifecc.com. Awesome. Hey, I want to invite you to prepare yourself for a great Sunday. Our team has worked hard. Our worship team is ready. We have a great message for you today. Prepare your hearts for an amazing day. God bless you, church. Hey, everyone. My name is Gina, and I'm here filling in for Pastor Tim today. He is off for some rest, much-needed time, and how convenient that it's during this series all about rest. So please pray for him that he is refueled and rejuvenated and renewed as he's away. This morning, we're going to continue on with our series called Rhythms about how we find rest, real soul care. How do we do that? Well, I went back to think about what Pastor Tim asked last week, and, you know, I just think it's worth asking again. Are you weary? And I don't know about you, but during this time, I could probably raise both hands and both feet because there have been some really unique circumstances that we've had to deal with. And then I thought, do we feel stolen from? What about our time? What about our resources? Financial? Even people? We can't get together like we want. Do you feel stolen from? Well, today, the title of my message is Lift Your Eyes. And I'm going to talk about a place that I read about many years ago. And it really triggered something in me then. And when Pastor Tim said, I want you to speak during the rest series, I was like, oh, okay. But I knew immediately what God would want me to talk about. And so today, I'm going to tell you about a beautiful place a restful place, a place called Brook Baser. But before I do, let's pray together. God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your goodness and your blessings. And Lord, I just pray that I am your vessel this morning. Everything that you want to say, you say it through me, that my words are just falling off to the wayside and that your words are evident and clear and precise. Thank you this morning, God. Thank you for rest. Thank you that we can rest in you. In Jesus' name, amen. So this place called Brook Baser, it's found in 1 Samuel 30. And I'm going to read about it, but before I do, I want to set up a little bit about what's happening. This story includes David, who is now king, and it actually begins in a not-so-great spot. It begins in disaster, David and his 600 men have come back from fighting. They have fought on the Philistine front lines, and they have fought against that that army. They are the Israelites. They have fought against the Philistines. And in this, when they come back to the village of Ziklag, they come back, the 600 men, but they come back to quite a surprise. They come back to utter devastation and desolation. All of the wives are missing. All of the children are missing. Every belonging has been taken. And the homes, well, the homes are nothing more than rubble. Everything been burned to the ground. So these men have just fought. They've just come back like, ooh, 
Woo, go King David. We did it. And now they're back to the village where they had camp and everything is gone. Nothing, nothing was there but ash and rubble. So when we look at the scriptures, we're going to start in 1 Samuel 30, verse 3. And this is kind of a, a long passage. And then we'll go back and we'll pick out some pieces that I feel like God really wants us to hear this morning. So 1 Samuel 30, verse 3. When David and his men saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. David's two wives were among those captured. David was now in great danger. Great danger, the Bible says, because all his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters, and they began to talk of stoning him. I mean, the tides turned quickly for David in this story. But David found strength in the Lord his God, and he said to Abiathar, the priest, bring me the ephod, which was a garment for the, the priest in those days. So Abiathar brought it, and David asked the Lord, should I chase after this band of raiders? Will I catch them? Well, the Lord told him, yes, you go after him. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. So David and his 600 men set out, and they came to the brook Baser. But 200 of the men were too exhausted to cross the brook. So David, he continued in pursuit with 400 men. Along the way, they found an Egyptian man in a field, and they brought him to David. They gave him some bread to eat and water to drink. They also gave him part of a fig cake and two clusters of raisins, for he hadn't had anything to eat or drink for three days and three nights. Before long, his strength returned. To whom do you belong and where do you come from, David asked him. I'm an Egyptian, the slave of an Amalekite, he replied. My master abandoned me three days ago because I was sick. We were on our way back from raiding the Carathites and the Negev, the territory of Judah and the land of Caleb, and we had just burned Ziklag. Will you lead me to this band of raiders, David asked. The young man replied, if you take an oath in God's name that you will not kill me or give me back to my master, then I will guide you to them. So he led David to them, and they found the Amalekites spread out across the fields, eating and drinking and dancing with joy because of the vast amount of plunder they had taken from the Philistines and the land of Judah. David and his men rushed in among them and slaughtered them throughout the night and the entire next day until evening. None of the Amalekites escaped except 400 young men who fled on camels. I have a feeling there's something about that. We're not going to dig that out today, but you might want to on your own time. 400 men went in to fight, and 400 of the enemy escaped. I'm sure God has some purpose for that. David got back everything the Amalekites had taken, and he rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, great or small, son or daughter, nor anything else that had been taken. David brought back everything. He also recovered all the flocks and herds. And his men drove them ahead of the other livestock. The plunder belongs to David, they said. Then David returned to the brook baser and met up with the 200 men who had been left behind because they were too exhausted, too exhausted to go with him. 
They went out to meet David and his men, and David greeted them joyfully. But some evil troublemakers were among David's men, and they said, they didn't go with us. They can't have the plunder we recovered. Give them their wives and children and tell them to be gone. But David said, no, my brothers, don't be selfish with what the Lord has given us. He has kept us safe and helped us defeat the band of raiders that attacked us. Who will listen when you talk like this? We, we share and share alike. Those who go to battle and those who guard the equipment. From then on, David made this a decree and a a regulation for Israel, and it is still followed to this day. So that's a lot of scripture. We're going to unpack some of that. We're going to look at verse 4, and I'm going to move through this. But each verse that I pull out, we're going to have a real point. And I want you to think about the parallel that this story has with Jesus. The story of David here as their king and how that relates, as we will see years and years and years later, to our king. So let's look at verse 4 as we begin. The Bible tells us that they wept until they could weep no more. Nothing. They had nothing left to give. They could weep no more. They were done, exhausted, bone tired. The Bible says no more. But then, then those 600, boy, they found some strength somewhere real fast because those who were in despair, the Bible tells us that all of them, all of them grew bitter with David and here they were a plot to kill him. They said, let's stone him. So here were these men who were weeping, weeping. Just can you even imagine how awful this must have been? Not knowing if they would ever retrieve their families. Surely their things were less important, but even that. And here they were weeping at how painful this was. And let's not forget, David lost his wives in this. But these men... Their bitterness grew into a fierce anger. And that let stone David that started as a whisper became a rally cry. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the troops who had just had triumph were now, because they couldn't understand, were turning their backs on their king. Do we do that? Do we turn our backs on our king, and things aren't going our way, things feel sad or scary, or maybe we get angry, is that our posture? What I see from these men, though, is that weeping is exhausting. If y'all have ever cried hard, I mean, I don't know about y'all, but when I cry hard, it, it's, it can go ugly fast. I mean, I'm going to be all swollen. I'm going to be, you know, it's going to be a mess. It's going to be a messy situation. That is already exhausting. And then you throw anger on top of that. And well, these men, these men were just done. Because anger always drives us to a place of utter exhaustion. The weariness on their bones. See, catastrophe It brings out 
either the best or the worst in us. That's what it does. It clearly brought out the worst in these men. Here was David, this, this man who had led them through the wilderness years, through salvation and providence by prayer. And these men, they were turned from the distress and the discontented into a band of, of fighters, friends, warriors. But in one moment, in one moment, everything changed. And they were talking about killing their king. But catastrophe, well, it brought out the best in David. The very best. Because as the storm clouds rolled in of murder on their mouse, of the, the, the discontent that his troops were feeling, I don't think for one minute David didn't know what was happening. But verse 6 says this. But David, David found strength in the Lord his God. He found strength in the Lord his God. See what I, I think about David is he knew his history. So he was like, oh, mm -mm. you know, I, I'm a giant slayer. I, I'm the same one that God said, no, you can do it. This is not my clothes. I'm going to be in my shepherd's gear and I'm going to take my sling and my sack and I'm going to go kill this giant because he's not going to defy my God's armies. The battle is the Lord's. And so in this moment, I feel confident that David knew who he was. That he said, oh no, no, no. I'm gonna find my strength in the Lord. He's gonna remind me who I am. I'm gonna go back and let him fill me up. But I know the victory's his. God's army always wins. Let me tell you today, church, that we win. The army of God always wins. God gives us strength. That is who he is. Verse 7, we see this. The Lord told David, yes, go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. See, David wasn't going to let his decisions be dictated by the bitterness and the bad choices of his men. He said, oh, no, no. I know who I am. I just found my strength in the Lord. And he says, you will surely recover everything. So David said, that, that's what I'm going to trust. I'm going to trust the recovery. I'm going to trust that my God is who he says he is and that the battle is his. Now, these 600 men, they were ill-prepared to find these Amalekites. They couldn't have done it on their own. They didn't know where to look. How would they? How long it had been while these men were out fighting as it was now to wherever they had gone? They were devastated. They were demoralized. There was so much hurt in them. They couldn't have led one another. They realized that they needed David. They realized that they needed their king. And even in this moment, though he had left their village unprotected, they still knew that they could trust him. So David roused his troops up, and he went. Now, I looked up how long it took from Ziklag to get to the Brook Baser. And it took over, if in a straight shot, 
I would have no idea how David actually went with his men. But in a straight shot, it's over 20 miles. So I began to think about that. I mean, you have, they have just fought against the Philistines. Now, they have just come back, wept until they could weep no more, been angry, walked or rode or however they got there over 20 miles. I mean, I can't even imagine how exhausted and weary these men must have felt. All while mourning the loss of who knows if we're going to get our families back. And David leading with his family missing as well. But they went. And then we see that the 200 men needed to, needed to stay at the brook. Those men, if we could hear their words, they probably said, I want to be the rescuer of my family, but I can't go on. I can't go on, David. What do we do? The Bible never once tells us that David looked down on those men or that he said, you lazy bums. No, never. He told the 200 men to sit at the brook. They could not go on. They were not scared to fight for their families. They certainly weren't lazy. They would have wanted to be the rescuers, but they could not move. I thought about a time when I could not move. So I'm going to share this simple story, but it could have had a very different outcome. It was many, many years ago. For many of you, many of you know that I have four boys, and um, they're older now, but this was many years ago when the two oldest were two and three. And I had, I was pregnant. I had one in, in the belly, if you will. And so we went to the pool. It was fun. We had a great time. We were, this wasn't anything unique that we did. Um, we enjoyed going to the pool on a nice um, summer day. And this day we went and I had Jacob and Levi, and we were playing in the shallow end, and I thought, oh, they're being so great. Let's just walk to the deep end, which, again, wasn't something that we, you know, was new to them. They were used to this. Now, back then, back then, this has been, you know, I don't know, 17 years ago, back then, the flotation devices left a little to be desired. So, you know, Jacob either had the choice of a life jacket, which is fine, and those are great, you know, wear them on your boat. I'm all about, you know, safety. But, you know, when you're in the pool and you feel like you have some level of control, all it does is, you know, it lays you back. So you're like, you know. And so that's not super helpful to a young person. They get frustrated really fast, or at least mine did. And then the other option was this onesie, you know, with the tube around it. You know, and all they can do is do this because there's no, you know, there's no movement on that. So I was like, yeah, nah. Nah, we had those things, but I chose that day not to bring them. And so I go to the deep end. It's probably around four and a half, five feet. I'm probably right about here. And it goes all the way out to eight feet um, at its deepest point. And now this pool, the shallow was smaller and longer, and then the deep was very long and wide. And so the end where I was was way over here, and the other side was quite a distance. 
So I had Jacob and Levi on the side of the pool, and they were jumping into me, and then I would swim them back and put them up, and giggles and fun, and they were having a great time. I was starting to get a little tired, you know, being pregnant. But even if I wasn't pregnant, I mean, my arms, you know, they were getting tired of lifting these two little fellas out of the pool each time I would swim them back. And, well, Jacob, who is my, let's say, adventurous one, um, maybe a little mischievous even, um, decided that it was going to be a great time to walk to the other side of the pool. So... I did what any good mom would do, and I started using my sing-song voice because I thought that would lure him back because I was going to be super happy. And so I was like, okay, Jacob, you need to come back over here where we are, you know, all of that, realizing that was not working because he was like, whatever, I got her right where I want her. He's walking, and I'm thinking, this is not going to end well. Something is in him, and he is like, oh. Look at her. Look at her. She is stressing out right now. And I looked at Levi, and I was like, he's pretty chill, kind of, you know, just whatever. I looked back at him, and I said, buddy, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need you to stay right here. I'm, don't move. I thought I could trust him. Don't go anywhere. I knew I had to get to where Jacob was. So my feet were feeling very heavy for some reason, and I just couldn't seem to get enough. And I was a decent swimmer, but, you know, I decided I can walk most of the way there. He's going to lock eyes with me and, and listen to my voice. So I'm moving, and I take two giant steps in the pool. And then I hear the simultaneous splash of two little boys hit the water and torment rushed over my very soul. I had to make a decision. I had to make a decision. I knew the only one that I could save was the one closest to me. At this point, they were both at the bottom of the pool. One in the four or five foot, one in the eight foot. I could see him. I went back to the bottom, grabbed Levi out, threw him on the side. I don't remember anyone else being at the pool that day. So I say that for this next part. As I stood in the pool, as I stood there, I'm watching, watching what feels like miles away, watching my child sit at the bottom of the pool. He cannot swim. And my entire body was immobile. I could not move. I could not get to him. Why couldn't I put one foot in front of the other and get to him? I can't answer that. I don't know what happened. It has never happened before and it has never happened since. But I couldn't be his rescuer. And I had to choose. How could I choose one over the other? So I sat and I remember thinking, oh, God, what do I do? God, what do I do? And I looked up, and that's the only thing I remember was looking up because I could not get to the other side of the pool. And as I looked up, I heard a splash. And a man, I have no idea where he came from. I don't know who he was. I have never seen him. But he jumped in. 
and he scooped my little boy off the bottom of the pool. He was beating his back when he brought him out because he was not breathing. And then water came pouring out. And then I heard him choke. And I was like, oh, God, he's breathing. Why couldn't I get to him? I have no idea. But I felt what these men at Brooke Baser felt. That they could not go on. They wanted to be the savior to their families, but they could not go on. So my question is, have you ever, have you ever felt so weary that you couldn't move? So weary. And that you needed somebody else's help. Someone to come in and say, here we are. I'm holding you up. I'm lifting your eyes. I don't even remember barely thanking the man. I hope he knows. I've never seen him again. I have no idea. But he saved my boy that day, the one that I couldn't get to. I couldn't save him. It was as if I had cement shoes. I dried them off, and I carried them home, and I wept until I could weep no more. At what could have been but the beauty of what was, that my God, my God saved, and that he's a good God, and that he uses others to rally around and come in and help us when we're weak. So as we move on, I want you to think of a time when you needed somebody because these 400 men that continued on they crossed they crossed the brook they went over but they didn't know how to find these Amalekites until they came on a sick Egyptian half dead the Bible tells us he hadn't eaten in three days and three nights and he was already sick, the word tells us, that his leader had already dispensed of him. There's some beautiful stuff getting ready to happen here. They gave him food and water. They brought him to David. Verse 11, before long, his strength returned. Do you catch that? In verse 6, we read, that David found strength in the Lord. But then, then David. He was able to give this man food and water. And then his strength returned. God brings dead things to life. That's who he is. David was given strength by the Lord. So then he gave that strength away. Because that's, that's what we do. When we see somebody who is hurting and alone and too weary, too weak to carry on in the God story, then when we've been strengthened by God, then we get to give that away. We get to do that for someone else. So see, we, we see here this beautiful story of redemption because 
We also read in our scripture that this man, this Egyptian, was one of the ones who had burned down the village of Ziklag. Here they are feeding him. Here they are caring for him. And in moments, they're going to be asking him for help. That's the beauty of the Lord. They're like, oh, no, we're not, we're not just going to dismiss you. You are weak, and you are hurting, and we are going to be here for you. What David experienced from God, the Egyptian experienced from David. And, you know, if we're living this life right, that's what we should do every day. Give away what we've been given. When we've had a filling up, then we get to pour that out. But be clear, sometimes it's your time to sit at the brook baser. The saved and grateful, the revived Egyptian, he told them where the Amalekites were. So we read in verse 16, the Amalekites spread out across the fields, eating and drinking and dancing with joy. Can you picture this? These awful, awful men. They had just stolen from David and his men, the wives and the children and the belongings, burned their homes down. And they are dancing with joy. And this wasn't the first place they had raided. These Amalekites were some bad fellas. They were dancing with joy because of the vast amount of plunder they had taken. Friends, the enemy always overplays his hand. And that is real. Greed and pride and self-righteousness, oh, it just crept right in. And guess what the Amalekites were? They were not on guard. They had not set a guard because they were so prideful. They were like, oh, no, we got this. Look at us. I mean, can you imagine? I'm sorry, that was a little, you know, whatever. But, but dancing with joy. So here we have this picture. They were all spread out. But in verse 18, David got everything back. The Amalekites had taken Rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, small or great, son or daughter, nor anything else that had been taken. David brought back everything. God recovers everything. This was absolute for them. Not one thing, not one wife, not one child, not one article was missing. Everything recovered. But God said it would be. Verse 21. Then David returned to the brook baser and met up with the 200 men who had been left behind because they were too exhausted to go with him. I want you to take note of what was said there. They were too exhausted to go with him. They went out to meet David and his men and greeted them joyfully. I mean, they had rested. They had some energy. And here's, here's what I see here. That they were rested and their eyes were lifted because they went out to, to meet and greet David and the men. And joyfully, they were like, oh, where, where's my son? Where's my daughter? Where's my wife? Where are they? I got to get my hands on them. Thank you, David. Thank you, King David, for leading the troops. 
God's love gives and his grace covers. Verse 22, though. There's some evil troublemakers among David's men, and they said this. They didn't go with us. They cannot have any of the plunder we recovered. Give them their wives and children and tell them to be gone. Whew, I'm going to tell you, when I read this for the first time, I had to do a little soul searching. Because, see, God doesn't just say a troublemaker. I can kind of live with that. But evil, that puts a whole new spin on it. Have I ever said, well, they don't deserve that. I, I, I did everything. I did all the work. How do they get the same as me? Or I've done this or that or been here longer or whatever the language. Evil troublemaker. That's what the word tells me. I had to take a hard look at that. I'm going to venture to say that many of us probably should take a little look at that. But for my life, I had to reconcile that I didn't want to be an evil troublemaker. So the 400 men on their way back to Ziklag, they, they meet up, as we said, with the 200. The 200 who were exhausted. The 200 who had to cut out in mid-pursuit. The 200 who were now on their feet, hugging and kissing their wives and children. Those 200 We see these mean-spirited 400, though. Were they going to make a difference in the story? But just then, David steps in. His intervention is the climax to the story. David intervened at the brook Baser, and his intervention is gospel. David ruled that everybody at the brook that day were equals and would share everything equally. You know, you have these ringleaders of the fairness policy, and they're called wicked or evil. And then I have to, I have to look at the whole picture, and what do I see? I'm like, those are strong words. Those are strong words that we're using there. Evil, troublemakers for saying a few things like they don't deserve it all because, well, they, you said, David, they were too exhausted to go. Well, I'm stronger. Like, why couldn't I get all the stuff? These men just days before wanted to kill their king. What they couldn't recognize, what they couldn't see in the moment was sheer grace. A marvelous and generous grace. This place that, what what difference does it make if I get five more cows and, you know, three lamps? Or whatever, they didn't have lamps right then, but you know what I mean. Instead, instead they said, no, they don't, they can't. No, 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 I fought for that. I fought for that. I could have lost my life. David says, mm-mm. That's not how we're going to see this. That's not what we're going to do. Verse 23. In verse 24, David said, Who will listen when you talk like this? We share and share alike. Those who go to battle and hear this, those who guard the equipment. That's probably my favorite line in this whole text because what David did there 
is he just gave position. See, they were just moments, just days before, just a few verses before, they were too exhausted to go with them. But David said, oh, no, 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 they were, they were guarding the equipment. He gave them a place. I feel pretty certain that as exhausted as those men were, if somebody came to get that equipment, they would have fought to the death defending it. There would have been a revived strength in them. But that's not why they began their seat at the Brook Baser. It was for rest. God gives us position. These men, they needed rest. That's clear. But they were awake and they were ready for David's return. Wouldn't it be something if while we rested, we positioned ourselves with our eyes lifted in anticipation of our king? When we can see him, they knew. They're like, David's coming. We're running. We're going to get to him. And David never looked down on them, never didn't say they don't need rest. He greeted them joyfully. That's the kind of king he was. That's the kind of king we serve. One that loves and offers and gives and says, rest, but know that I'm coming back for you because I love you and you have a place. And I'm not gonna let you walk around like this because let me tell you something. Walking around like this, all I know is what's under my feet. And did nothing good happen under my feet? That's just dirt. But when I look up, then I see where I'm going. I see the promise that God's got and the destiny over my life. It doesn't do me any good to look down. We need to lift our eyes in anticipation of all that the king has for us. God is our rescuer. How we find rest, rest in Brooke Baser, rest in God, rest. I have three R's. We recover, remind, and renew. And in the recovery, it's returning to a place of health and strength. And I love that that's the actual definition of recover. And he uses that in this scripture that you're going to recover everything, David, but you return to a place of health and strength. And he had to find his strength in the Lord. And then he was able to give that away to find direction to find his people. So it's this really beautiful story of how good God is to our hearts and what he does for us. So when we find our strength again in the Lord, then we can recover. We're gonna be better. We're gonna, we're gonna know what we need to do next time. If you've ever had an injury, a, a surgery, or a broken bone, you know you can't just get up like minutes after it happens and just start doing a little jig, you know, some kind of little dance. You, you have to rest. You have to allow it to recover. And that takes time, sometimes longer than others. And that's okay. Resting, 
recovering in the Lord and letting him be your strength. And then reminding. You know, we need God. We need God to remind us who we are. That matters. Then we need to remind others who they are. You know, I have great people in my life, friends and family, and they're constantly reminding me who I am in the Lord, cheering on, going after. And then sometimes, sometimes you have to remind yourself who you are. I've been at things and I've had to remove myself to the restroom and look at the mirror. This is who you are. Your agenda here is to love, so you go love like Jesus would love. This is your purpose. This is what you're called to do. Sometimes we have to remember who he says he, we are so that we can say who we are. And then renew. And renewing is a making it even better. Making the more than it was before. So once you recover, once you remind and allow him to remind, then you renew because you have the strength to do so. You're set. And then you can see the better and be in the more. Because see, what David, what David was a part of is this whole thing about being alive, whereas his men were only worried about staying alive. When we can understand the difference between being and doing, see, when I am resting in the Lord, I am being. When I am at unrest in the Lord is when I am striving, when I am working out of my own strength and not out of his. And so let's take that note from David as well, that we want to just be in the Lord. We want to be alive and really live. When we rest, we allow the process of recovery to begin. When we rest, we allow God to remind us who we are. And when we rest, we allow ourselves to be renewed in him. David at the brook anticipates Jesus. And Pastor Tim used this verse last week and it was in my notes, so I think we're just going to kind of make it a running theme. But it's a beautiful verse. It's a beautiful verse. It's found in Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. And this, this translation from the message is just really lovely written. So I'm going to read it from that translation. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. The unforced rhythms of grace. That's what he gives. And he doesn't say... Just sit and don't do anything. He says, watch how I do it. Walk with me. Work with me. Do all the things with me. See, rest is relief from weariness. It doesn't mean that I just stop doing everything unless I need to literally stop doing everything. There are seasons for that. But rest is when I'm drawing from his strength 
then I'm no longer drawing from my own. And so I get to be in him. And that translates to the people I encounter because I have more love, I have more grace, I have more joy, more hope, more faith. Because what I read in David's story is the same God that was faithful to a teenage boy who was slaying a giant was faithful in his defeat against the Amalekites. The battle is always the Lord's. So when we lift our eyes, when we take that stance to see the more, to recover, remind, and renew, we see his goodness. I'm drawn out of myself and back to him where my help comes from. And as I rest in that, then my recovery is easier because he's constantly reminding me who I am. And then my heart, my mind, my body, my soul can be renewed in him. So today, wherever this word may find you, hurting, sad, worried, stressed, wherever the last six months have had you, uncertain, unknown, certainly unfamiliar. Right now, today, together, we're going to lay it down. We're going to take a seat by the brook. And we can already anticipate that our king is meeting us there. And he's greeting us joyfully. So as you see that place, hold on to it. And then as we pray, I want you to stop white knuckling and just let it go. No one's judging you. No one has any thought except for you need the rest and the love of your king. We all do. We all do. And then once we get it, may we offer that to the next. So let's pray together. Stand up if you need to. Stand if you need to say, this is my declaration today. My declaration that I'm letting go. The enemy doesn't get to overplay his hand, not one more day in my life. I'm not gonna give him any more glory because he doesn't deserve it. This is God's. I am God's. And I'm gonna rest in him where I find my strength. So pray with me. God, we thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the life of David. Thank you that he teaches us so much and he parallels the life of Jesus where we have grace and hope and faith and oh, so much love. Let us rest in you today and in the coming days and let us draw from you our strength, God, so that we can move on and then we can give that away. 
Thank you, God, that you are who you say you are and that we can trust that. We love you. Help us to recover, remind, and renew today. In Jesus' name, amen.